Before we jump into it, we have a very special announcement. I am proud to be one of Nurture Lee's board of director members. And San Diego, I'm excited to tell you that for anyone who is a parent or will be a parent or anyone who cares about perinatal health and lactation, we want to plug Nurture Lee's upcoming fundraising event. It's a community science event called the Bubbly Brunch, and it's a benefit for babies. The event will be on Sunday, November 3rd from 12 to 3 p.m. at La Jolla Shores Hotel. Come on down and join us for live music, brunch, bubbles, and prizes. We will also have a lineup of speakers on topics related to lactation, perinatal mood disorders, and sociocultural contributors to racial and social inequalities in health. Check out more details at nurturely.org slash bubblybrunch. Welcome back to the Normalized Breastfeeding Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Simmons, and I'm excited to share with you our special guest feature for today. Before we get into it, I'd like for you to click that subscribe button below, share this video or podcast, and be sure to follow us on social media. All right, let's go. Welcome back. We are live with our guest, Kate Chartel Novak, better known as Mrs. Pennsylvania International. <laughs> she is an ELL teacher for VIP Kid or VIP Kid, a YMCA fitness instructor, and a home-based travel advisor. Above all, she's a devoted wife to Ray, stepmother to three girls, and extended nursing mother to Aria. Kate Chartel Novak is a tenacious proponent for causes that move her, including the normalized breastfeeding movement. And she has been leveraging her social media to increase visibility of breastfeeding mothers by sharing her own breastfeeding journey since Aria's pain and med-free birth. Kate, we're so happy to have you on with us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so this is the official normalized breastfeeding podcast. We'll be discussing breastfeeding experiences, education, advocacy, activism within the infant feeding community. Today, we're recording live with Kate Chartel Novak from the Boob Hive in Pennsburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode 20, Breastfeeding Mom Wins Mrs. Pennsylvania International. And before we get started, I just want to encourage you all to shop the Normalized Breastfeeding brand on our website normalizedbreastfeeding.org and support this podcast with and the content creation. If you're interested in being a featured guest or a sponsor, just listen till the end for more information about how to get in touch. All right, so let's get into it, Kate. So tell me a little bit about your pregnancy with Aria. What were the highlights or some of the struggles maybe that you faced with the maternity care system? Oh, so I am very fortunate that my husband is a public school teacher and he is very great healthcare. Um, however, I do have a funny story. <laughs> um, and I know you asked me about during my pregnancy care, but this was right after she was born. So it 
kind of counts. Okay, yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's a mandated hearing test the babies have to take. And they brought the machine in and they put the little headphones on, you know, hours old Aria's ears and they let it do its beeping thing. And then two and a half years later, I get a bill for thousands of dollars oh <laughs> for that hearing test. And then I start getting frantic phone calls from the hospital that administered it or the third party contracted company that works with the hospital to administer it. And it was a whole situation of where there are issues in our care for pregnant women and women who are just who have just given birth because they said that the service was not covered and it's a mandated by law test. It's required. <laughs> and yeah. It, yeah. And it uh, took them two and a half years to finally be like, hey, we want money for this. It's supposedly not covered. And I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So fortunately, that third party company that administered the test, they were, were very, very good about kind of doing everything on the back end and just having me sign stuff or having conference calls where they sort of looped me in as a third person because they couldn't contact the company on their own and my insurance company on their own because of HIPAA. Um, they needed my consent for everything. So uh, that was a very, very fortunate situation that they were so... Um, accommodating to their patients, whereas a lot of companies will just be like, here, you deal with this. <laughs> so but true. Still, yeah, but still, um, it, even though it could have been a lot worse, it still is saying a lot that two and a half years after care was administered for something that's mandated by law, they were trying to bill me for it. <laughs> That is so strange. I and I wonder, it was, was it a was it a hospital error or did they were they really serious? They were like, there this were, is not a covered they told me there, there were hundreds of mothers who were experiencing the same thing. So I don't know if there was some sort of uh, black hole where a certain window of time it wasn't coded correctly or whatever it was. But again, it was a shortcoming of the system. And it really, uh, you know, sort of demonstrates where we can improve now on the flip side. Um, everything up to that went swimmingly. <laughs> Again, my, my husband had has really great health care because he works in the public school system and and they they really didn't fail us up until that time. Um, and and we were lucky in that regard. I had a wonderful help in obtaining a free pump. It was quite easy to just go on the website where they said, here are the people where you can go ahead and get your free pump from. And then the company that I happened to choose, they actually brought it right to my doorstep. A little, uh, a little nursing assistant in training or something. She drove up in her car and <laughs> here's your pump. <laughs> you know, oh, so it was really quite wonderful. Yeah, so Very that, was cool. a, that was a shining example versus the not so shining example. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. That's that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about. So your pregnancy, you said it was swimmingly. I mean, were you were glowing? You didn't have morning sickness? Or any highlights? Oh uh, no. Okay. Or any, as far as that goes, I hated being pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it 100, girl. Keep it 100. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So as so, far as the pregnancy itself, physically being pregnant, no, I hated every second of it. Um, and that's a lie. No, not every second. I, I enjoyed hearing her heartbeat. I enjoyed my ultrasound appointments. Um, definitely once I hit the middle of the second trimester, I was in so much pain. I had really bad back pain, not in the lower back, but actually in my mid back. 
And I was doing everything I could possibly, I was doing acupuncture, cupping, I was doing um, everything that I could think of to do it. And I'm a yoga instructor. So it's not like I wasn't exercising and it's not like my body wasn't strong. It just manifests, the pain manifested in such a horrible way. And Ray took pictures of me, (laughs) Ray's my husband. He took pictures of me laying in child's pose with the ice pack on my back and books weighing down the ice pack so I could feel the cold more. Like it just, and he was laughing at me. (laughs) And I look at those pictures and I'm like, oh, well, at least I chronicled it. And, you know, I can remember every part of the experience because so many people at the time, it, they were making me feel bad. They were saying things like, oh, I loved being pregnant. I'm like, yeah, you love being pregnant once you aren't. <laughs> yes. And then also some people just have really great experiences. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I'm not going to share my experience because it's it's much, much worse. And you're going to be like, oh, <laughs> no. well, mine wasn't that bad. But at the end of the day, like we all have, right? Like some parts of our pregnancy experience that's just not comfortable, you know? Right. And back pain mm-hmm. is one of those things where, you can't get around it. Like mm-hmm. you need your back to be mobile. You need your, and your, your back is kind of holding up the rest of your body. So mm-hmm. if your yeah. back hurts, it's kind of over, it's overwhelming, you know, so yeah, I yeah. That completely. And then you're trying to be in this very like, Oh, I'm pregnant and I'm comfortable. Yeah, and I'm painful, right. and all this. But you're, not. you're like inside, no. you're like cringing because of the pain. So right. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. And the other format that I teach as a fitness instructor is aqua Zumba. And if anybody knows anything about Zumba, they're all like in your face, very enthusiastic. And there I am with this giant belly on a pool deck. <laughs> yeah, it's, <That's laughs> so it's like hard cement and it's hot because it's it's an indoor pool with right. a, a with the humidity and I'm there like yee. <laughs> and I have some of the greatest members at the Y where I teach because they were so sweet and they were like you still are amazing I'm like oh thanks <laughs> you're like I'm trying yeah. I'm trying <laughs> yep. so tell me a little bit about um your support in labor and delivery um you said that you had a, a pain med free birth so no pain medication so yeah. who supported you in this birth that did not <laughs> include any pain medication well originally um when i decided i wanted to have children years ago um i i wanted a home birth in water and then uh some things happened i got divorced i got remarried and i ended up we ended up not deciding on kids until um, much later than I anticipated. So I was 34 and that magic number is 35. It doesn't matter what kind of health you're in. Once you hit 35, you're all of a sudden high risk. <laughs> getting closer to that number. And I figured because I have the three stepdaughters, I figured she was going to be my one and done. And also as the pregnancy progressed and I couldn't stand it, I was like, I don't know if I can do this again. <laughs> my husband said he would feel much more comfortable in a hospital, but I still was leery. And what had to happen was I had to find an, an, a supportive OB. Right. Um, OBGYN, because we didn't have any midwives in my area who had hospital admitting privileges, which is really sad because the area in which I live is maybe 20 minutes south of an area known as the Lehigh Valley, and it is the third most populated area in Pennsylvania. And yet we didn't have any hospitals that I felt comfortable going to within a 30 minute radius where midwives had admitting privilege, had hospital privileges. Right. So there again is another situation where our system is a little broken, but (laughs) very much so. But I found some really wonderful um, OBGYNs who had almost like a midwifery model. 
And that was really kind of nice. And then I hired doulas and that was probably the single best investment I could have ever made um, because they were amazing. And I was in labor for 36 hours. It was a really long time. But the first half of that was at home because they told me to stay home and I wasn't ready to go yet. I didn't want to be sitting around in a hospital bed when I could be at home. Right. And um, so at home, I was in my bathtub and I was sitting on a stool and I had a ball that I bounced on. And we even had a funny story. We had this bird. It was a cockatiel. <laughs> <laughs> that um, my husband found because he runs a game bird farm with his father. So okay. he has all these pheasants in these giant bird pens. I marry him and there's this business going along with it. Well, someone leaves their cockatiel in this, in this pheasant pen. And we're like, what is so we bring the cockatiel home I post on Facebook and I say does anybody want a pet cockatiel <laughs> and I was in labor and we had someone coming to visit to pick up the cockatiel <laughs> Hilarious. and so it wasn't funny. a tame cockatiel and its wings had grown out so there I am very pregnant chasing this bird around because I tried to release it into the cage that they brought <laughs> And she's like, don't worry, I'll get it. And, you know, she was in my home and I didn't, I was like, just let me get it. Right, right. With a giant belly contracting, <laughs> catching this bird <laughs> flying around our house. It was just, it was a riot. So, you know, that happened. Then all of a sudden, finally, the OB called me and said, hey, we're about to switch who's on call. Do you have any idea when you're heading in? And I had been timing my contractions and I said, actually, we were talking about going in within the next hour. So, um. Right. So we, we went ahead and went in and I wasn't nearly as dilated as I'd hoped I'd been, but we still worked to speed it up with the help of the doulas. And the doulas also made it so that my husband could take a little rest uh, every now and then too, because it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely labor. Is, it's an endurance sport. It was. So labor yeah. and delivery, people think it's like, okay, let's get in there and do what we got to do. And it's like, well, there's a lot that goes into that, you yeah. know, there's layers to it. And so, um, and a lot of these, a lot of the layers that we don't expect to experience when we're in labor is the emotional side and the things that have caused fear in our own lives when we were either younger or things coming up as, you know, a young girl turning into an adolescent uh, girl and then becoming a woman, there are all these fears that we deal with throughout our lifetime that really come up during labor and birth. Sure. And you would kind of go into that very um, maternal, um, mammal, um, very like raw place where you kind of start to pull from all of these things and you become like, you know, like how, like when a pup, when a mom, when a dog is giving birth to her puppies, she goes into a cold, quiet place and just, mm -hmm. I won't say cold, maybe warm, a warm, quiet place. And she hides out until that those puppies are born. Right. And yeah, I mean, yeah, she's yeah. very <laughs> overprotective when people, when they come out, you know, it's like, yeah. nobody get near me. <laughs> let me get, let me do this. I got this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we, we, we tend to do that as well. But I think with, with what you were saying, with the way that the maternal health system is so broken now, a lot of women, they go into the hospital expecting to find comfort and support and love. And they're getting people who are more, more yeah. right yeah. and also people who are trying to like move you along and connect all of these cookie cutter dots you know it's mm -hmm. like okay 
let's make sure all these corners are down in the cookie cutter. And it's like, no, you know, some right. women don't fit into those shapes and some women's births are, they take a completely different turn. And, right. and some, some women are, they feel strong enough to birth their baby without medication. And I think mm -hmm. that not enough providers really listen to the women who feel that way. Um, that's kind of part of my own story. Well, the, the first thing that, yeah, you're completely right. Because the first thing that happened when I, when I went in and I got on the bed, I said, first of all, how much do I have to be in this bed? <laughs> Cause I really don't <laughs> want to be laying here. I wanted to be right. moving around. And then uh, the second, you know, I did allow a cervical check-in and the resident says to me, okay, well, yeah, you're definitely far enough along that, that you can stay here. And, um, so that was positive because they would have sent me back home if I hadn't been. But then she says to me, and when I come back, we'll talk about pain medication. And I shot like daggers at the doula <laughs> because I made a visual birth plan at, that had these little icons of, of things with the words underneath. But one of them was no pain meds. And, um, and I had it posted everywhere. Like as soon as we got, right. <laughs> I had right. all these pictures of it and, and I went ahead and I said, get one on the door, get one here, get one there, right. get one there, all the places that I thought they would look. Just so and, you could also have a visual as yeah, well, right? I mean, Just for a reminder. Yep, yeah, yeah. And so um, <laughs> I, I shot daggers at the doula and she was like, <laughs> I got you, girl. I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it was never mentioned again. So <laughs> right. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Mm -hmm. And it's I think it's it's important, you know, it's important for a mom to not only feel like she's gonna be supported, but that she'll be validated. And right. if she has chosen this path for her child to enter the world then this should be something that we really just get behind and support. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the a lot of the nurses um, are not trained to sit with a mom throughout their right. birth, you yeah. know, and then we've got time, time frames on these beds and that they need people in and out. And yeah. <laughs> it's a very scary, you know, situation, especially when you're trying to put a clock on birth because yeah. you just don't know what that mother needs to really open up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are those cases of emergency as well where, you know, by the time we open up, it's just, it's late. Like we need to get this ball rolling, you know? Right. So I'm grateful for the emergency, uh, the emergency care that is available in a hospital. But I feel like when it comes to women wanting to birth naturally in hospital, that it can become kind of tedious for the staff. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So interesting. So tell me about um, your first latch. So when baby was born, Everything kind of settled and calmed. Did you guys do a breast crawl? Was your baby placed onto your chest? Describe those first moments, you know, of 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 what happened after your birth and then your first latch. Sure. So this is also a decent story too, because um, you know, I on my visual birth plan was skin to skin, and it's considered a, the hospital that I that I uh, delivered at is considered baby friendly designation too. So they believed in that anyway. Wonderful. But it was a yeah, which was great. But it was a little. Um, it wasn't like yay, here's your baby, plop on my chest. They put the baby next to me, and then my OB kind of gave me a look, and she said, try to bear down a little more your placenta isn't delivering and <laughs> right and i was like this oh. immediately after your baby was born um not a, not quite 
immediately like there was the whole like oh she's so cute blah blah blah. i was looking at her i was touching her and everything and then all of a sudden she was like yeah something's not happening here so then they were like all right let's get the baby skin to skin Right. And then, you know, we'll worry about this. So then they go ahead and they put her skin to skin. But then here, the placenta is not delivering. Right. And uh, she, I always said, um, you know, she had to, she had to manually deliver it. And I said, and you didn't even take me out to dinner afterwards. <laughs> is what I always said to her. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. more painful than any part of the labor and delivery. And I then, yeah. And then when she, she did have to sew me, um, cause I did tear, um, that also the, it was in an area where the anesthetic did not take effect very it wasn't hit and I said just forget mm, the anesthetic yeah. yeah because that needle was hurting me more than than the actual needle process for, for the stitches right and I said just forget it <laughs> you know stop trying to poke me with a needle just, just every sew one me of up folks is one that could be sewing me so right. uh yeah <laughs> so that was all going on during those you know supposed what's supposed to be those blissful moments where you're just staring into your baby's eyes <laughs> and oh, um i hard, i was still yeah. doing that and uh ray but it takes was, away yeah but it did take away i mean i was looking at her i was looking at ray ray was looking at at our daughter and um everything but uh that time where she could have crawled and she everything could have happened it was just sort of like forgotten about and that was less than ideal but at the same time it makes for a really great story so she finally got the placenta out and then all of a sudden the doula looks at me and like all right let's talk about breastfeeding <laughs> you're like wait wait wait, like, oh, wait. Yeah, let, me right. let me process all of this like yeah. it's a lot so, I feel like it's so it's so strange that, that we wait until the mother is even pregnant to teach yeah. women like your whole life changes. Yes. <laughs> your whole life. Like the way the fact that you're okay with like 10 people in the room while you're like completely butt yeah. naked having a baby. Like yeah. your whole life changes when you have a baby. It, it it's did. Interesting. It's so interesting. It it was so interesting. And and um as far as that went, again, I was so indebted to the doulas for being there because they were like, here, let's work on this. And and uh, we went ahead and we latched her on and she she seemed to be great. I mean, at first she was very sleepy because it was a long time for both of us. Great. And then, oh, yeah, I'm hungry. And, and she had like a good five minute feed right away, I guess. I mean, it's not like she was on there forever. Um, but then they also needed to do the things to her. They needed to measure her. They needed to weigh her. They needed to do all that stuff. And and I wanted to make sure that I got to feed a little bit first. So it, it all just kind of was a lengthened extra, extra length to that process. Um, and then when they took her off uh, and did stuff to her and then gave her back to me, and I was like, they moved me to the, another room and I got to shower and all that stuff. And, and she was out like a light. And then my husband and I were out like a light. And finally we all woke up and then, we fed again and it went fine, um, but it was short again. Mm -hmm. So I was getting worried that it was short and and uh, she did, 
she did lose weight, but naturally they lose up to 10% of their body weight. So we weren't concerned. And um, the pediatrician who examined her first just said, make sure you just nurse and nurse and nurse because her bilirubin was high. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was doing what I could. And then I got home and discharged, went home, went to her first appointment at her actual pediatrician. And she said, okay, Billy Rubin's still high and she has a tie. So they, mm. yeah, they corrected her tie and okay. that was like a game changer. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it was a total game changer. And all of a sudden nursing like an absolute champ every two hours on the dot, if that, <laughs> you know, sometimes it would be more often. And I was totally just on demand. Um, and then I was also pumping because I knew in six weeks I was going to go have to go back to my little part-time retail job that I had. And um, I also just wanted to establish a really good supply too. So, you know, everything again, went pretty swimmingly after that. <laughs> and, right. yeah, yeah. It was just fortunate that we had that kind of care that I had that kind of support and, um, and that it was able to get us off to a good start despite the little bit of stumbling we had with the manual delivery of the placenta. <laughs> so you basically answered my next question because I was going to ask you if you had any trouble latching during your journey. But with a tongue tie, yeah, that can definitely be a mm -hmm. huge issue. And a lot of people aren't aware that when a tongue tie goes undiagnosed for some time, it affects your milk supply because yeah. baby's unable to latch completely and, able, and unable to take out all of the milk. So because mm -hmm. they're unable to take out the milk, now your breast is not getting the signal that they need all of the milk. Right. So they say, pull back supply and let's just slow down the supply. So then the mom thinks, oh, I don't have any milk. Yep. Right. Yeah, but the reality is, yeah, it's just the cycle that happens. And it's so important that we get these moms the support they need as early as possible, um, mm -hmm. especially with, with pediatricians who can spot ties, because I think there's, a large number of pediatricians who don't even check for ties. Sure. And sometimes women have to go all the way to a lactation consultant, which might not be covered under their you know, health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, so they're paying out of pocket just to find out if there's a tie. Right. And that's like a if, you know what I mean? Like, okay, yep. well, let me pay this fee and then find out if there's something wrong, and you know? If I can afford to get it corrected. And if I can this and if I can that, there's just so many. <laughs> so many, you know? And so it kind of, this cycle that you talk about, it really is a never ending kind of cycle. And it starts really in those first few days if you don't have somebody who's knowledgeable about breastfeeding, um, this is why I think like, why aren't pediatricians getting solid breastfeeding education? Yeah. And that pediatrician. Like you serve that new right. moms. Yeah. <laughs> and, and once again, I was just so lucky. And I think uh, uh, because the pediatrician who examined her in the hospital, he is also a board certified lactation consultant too. So, and, and he's oh, a man. <laughs> wonderful. That, but that is so wonderful. That really cool. Because that is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, really cool. And also very fortunate. And then the lactation consultant who was on hand at the hospital, she was just a phone call away and I could say, Hey, can you tell me if this looks good. And, and that was, that was also very fortunate. And what it really was a matter of, um, cause it just sounds like, Oh, I'm, I've been so privileged. <laughs> the point is though, that, that took work to get to that point. Like I of researched course. every hospital in the area. I researched right. all the OBGYNs. I took right. a look at who was going to be 
examining her in the hospital and then versus where I was going to be taking her afterward. If I could make that the same person, if it wasn't going to be the same person, was it going to be somebody that I was okay with? You know, I like all the I dotting all the I's crossing all the T's. I mean, that took a lot of work that I think a lot of women aren't necessarily aware that they should even be bothering with because they think, okay, well, my doctor's going to tell me what to do. Um, I'm going to get to the hospital, the hospital, they're going to tell me what to do and I'm just going to follow the directions. And, and that's not the way it has to be. If you, if you like that MO, great, fantastic. But if you want to have a little more control over your journey, and obviously there's many things that are out of our control, um, regardless of how much we try to tighten those reins. Um, but if you do want more control, like I think what a lot of women need to know is that they have the power to take it. Most definitely. Most definitely. And it's not really just even control. It's more like if you want to guide like the path that you're on, you know, because the path can be a straight shot and you can listen to everything that they tell you and you can follow all of the rules that they give you. However, we've seen many women go down that path and we've seen many women come out with issues and trauma. Mm-hmm. And feeling like they were done a disservice. Oh, yeah. Right? And well, so my, my sister-in-law was pushed into having an epidural with her third child. And she still has chronic vertigo from it. And it's, yeah. Um, so <laughs> you know, it didn't go well for her. And that's right. not that I have another friend who... Uh, she loves the epidural. Give me the epidural. Right, right. She's <laughs> like, know? I'll but, take it. <laughs> yep, and it worked totally fine for her, you know? And no and issues, so, no yeah, side effects. Yeah, yeah. So and see, but, but those things, like, that's the that's what I think the medical system is failing to realize is that we are not cookie cutters, right? Like, yep. you cannot just put any woman in the same box and say, this is going to work for you. Sure. Because everybody's body, DNA, all of what we are is different. So we yeah. cannot say that this one drug is going to work for, you know, this subset of, of, of human beings. So, right. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me how you get got involved with pageant life, because oh. obviously you became Miss Pennsylvania International as a breastfeeding mom of yeah. 29 months strong. Yeah. Which, congratulations, Thank by you. the way. You're now at three years then now, right? Yeah, we are. She just That's turned awesome. three on October 2nd. So, oh, and congratulations. And like, happy birthday you. to you too. Yeah. <laughs> so, and actually this is my little bracelet. It's from a woman in the UK who makes these bracelets. And um, it's, <laughs> she has little cards that she attaches them to. Oh, and nice. the three-year bracelet is diamond boobies with platinum nipples. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, like covered jewels on them, and then there's I a little love it. For yeah, I so love I it. That. That's so cool. I actually I made it to three years too. So yay, yay yeah, for plat- yeah. platinum nipples. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put some. Put some beda- I need to bedazzle my background know, so that right? people can see platinum boobies. It with yours. But so anyway, uh, yeah. So pageants, I I dabbled in them a little bit throughout school um, when I was in middle school first, really, and then uh, didn't seriously start pursuing them until I I got married. And um, so 
Long story short, <laughs> there's three major pageant systems for married women. There's Mrs. America, Mrs. United States, and Mrs. International, just like there's Miss USA and Miss America for, for unmarried women and the host of other systems out there. There's these three major ones for married women. And Mrs. Pennsylvania International was the only one I hadn't competed in yet. And uh, she was at a point where I felt like I could leave her for longer periods of time. And I said to my husband, I'm getting the itch to compete again. Uh, he said, all right, let's do it. So so we went ahead and did it. And, you know, I, I can't say enough. And this is so obvious, but it is so worth repeating. Find your tribe, your support system and, and ask them for help <laughs> because he was along my aunt was along. My mother-in-law was along. They were all making sure that she was okay the entire time while I was um, obligated to be involved in pageant activities. And the same occurred at Mrs. International after I won Mrs. Pennsylvania International. And we traveled to West Virginia, believe it or not. But there were contestants from all over the world who traveled to West Virginia. And my mom came along with me. And she came along as basically the babysitter. And and uh, made sure Aria was taken care of. And then that way, instead of having to pump after two and a half years, and I hadn't pumped for like a year at that point, <laughs> instead of having to pump while I was gone to keep up my supply, um, I could just sneak into their room and yes. even, even do dream feeds if she was yeah. still already sleeping. And, and yeah. that way we got to reconnect in addition to making sure that, you know, it, weaning was not imposed on her because I do feel very strongly about self-weaning. And and it was it was hard. Um, the week yeah. is hard without that added on to it. Last year's Mrs. Pennsylvania International's husband was uh, deployed at the time. So, you know, it, it, there it's a hard week without stuff. <laughs> like right, right. Deployed or a breastfeeding toddler. But um, you know, it's hard without that. And then to add that it, but it also makes it even more challenging, but it also gives it that extra kind of, um, uniqueness and, and special experience, right. You know, that I can say, yeah, I went and I was, and I was still nursing my daughter <laughs> and I did That's it, so cool. <laughs> you know, just like, and I it's a huge motivation to other moms just yeah, to keep yeah. going and to understand that like, we all have obstacles, we all have challenges, you know, mm -hmm. and your story inspires someone else to just keep pushing with their own. So right. I mean, yeah, I it's think not that's like amazing. you have to completely give up who, uh, who you are. Now, a lot of times that works for a lot of women. So much of their identity becomes tied to being a nursing mom. And I, I too am among them, right. you know, a really large part of my identity is tied to that right now, but it mm -hmm. still didn't keep me from doing something for me. That was important. pursuing your dream. Yeah. All that I wanted to accomplish. <laughs> and I think that it's, it's so important that, that moms who, or I should say future moms really, because I think mm -hmm. we go into motherhood thinking I'm never going to be able to do anything again. Like, yeah. <laughs> what am I going to be able to do with a baby? Well, um, <laughs> if you, you look a at a lot of, there's a lot of things you can do. And do whatever you want to do. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. You know, like if you look at a lot of like African countries where women have just continued, I mean, they literally like will give their birth in the field and strap yeah. their baby up and keep on working. You know, yeah. it's like, you just have to do what you have to do. And something that uh, really encouraged me when I started this project, I 
had only nursed my previous two children. The longest I had nursed was 11 months. Oh, so good. with good. <laughs> Which is still really good, right? But with this baby, I was kind of like still learning so much about all the levels of normalizing breastfeeding because it's not just breastfeeding in public. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that. And so I've been trying to kind of open up people's minds to, well, there's a lot of facets and nuances within this whole community. There really and are. And there really are out there like if you google especially with extended breastfeeding and since i'm in the midst of it that is you know what i am talking about most nowadays but right. uh, there's really if you google it there's there's not much out there and no. uh you know i have another friend who she um her daughter is like 11 months and she said to me well how did you excite decide to extend a breastfeed and I'm like can you define extended breastfeeding because isn't your baby still a baby <laughs> right, right. You know, some people define it as um the the um six month milestone some people define right. it as the year the American Academy of Pediatrics those guidelines some people use the World Health Organization guidelines of two years some right. people are somewhere else in that spectrum. And for me, I mean, I, I feel like I'm the extended of the extended now. The extreme, very, yeah, like yeah, extreme breastfeeder. I, I joined a Facebook group that has been really wonderful because Google has, has nothing out there for us, really. Right. And um, they have been amazing. And I see some of the women who are still at it even after three years, and I'm just like, wow. And and it's challenged everything because I never expected that I would be the mom still breastfeeding at three years old. I thought I would be done after I said at least a year. Um, but if I could only make it to six months, that was okay because that was I wanted to exclusively breastfeed for six months. Um, the uh, then I thought, okay, well I made six months. Now I'm going to do the year. Okay, well I made the year. Well I'm not going to tell her when to stop. Uh, I really would like to do the World Health Organization of two years. Right. Well, then two years rolled around and now, right. and now you're still breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah. You asked me, how did you decide? I said, I didn't. It just evolved. You know, we're just doing And you do. Yeah. You evolve as a mom, right? Especially mm -hmm. as a nursing mom that's just open to what this journey brings. Mm -hmm. And it breastfeeding can be used also as a tool that benefits the mother. And I think that for me, it was a negotiation tool when my son became, when he got to an age where he could talk and negotiate, yeah. my son loves to negotiate. Uh, he, when he got to an age where he could start negotiating, it became a negotiation tactic. I used aww. breastfeeding to help him to potty train at 17 aww. months. And I used breastfeeding to help with his tantrums and things like That's that. Yeah. So I mean, it's just like, people don't consider like life after one, like your baby is still a baby. Yeah. When you look at that one-year-old, they are still very, very much a baby. Mm -hmm. And if you consider, um, this is not like a world health organization or anything like that. They do have a great, uh, a great initiative for two years at the minimum of breastfeeding, but any, any airline that you get onto to fly, Mm -hmm. Your baby's considered an infant until they're two years old. Yeah, yeah. They can fly with you on your lap for free until they are two yep. because they are still considered an infant. Right. So I try yeah. to tell moms to take take encouragement from that. This is sure. something that has nothing to do with the medical or breastfeeding world. And they still acknowledge that our children are babies until they're two. Yes. So mm -hmm. Take encouragement with that and understand that nursing until two, there's nothing wrong with that. Your right. baby needs that comfort. They need that security, you mm -hmm. know? Well, and then, um, like <clears> I said, <throat> having to Google, there's really not much out there. There's one article no. with one study on it that gives you this. They said, well, the natural 
weaning age for humans. Okay. The like natural, (laughs) um, anywhere from, uh, what did it say? Anywhere from three and a half to seven, like come on for a spectrum. Yeah. That's a huge spectrum. Huge, huge spectrum. And, and, um, actually I shouldn't even say average. They would say, they said estimated, because if you look at, if you use the term average and that would mean that, for all it's the women in between there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The estimated natural age for weaning because it's a very small sample of women who even make it that long. <laughs> very much so. You very know? much so. Especially in, in the United States, because of all the obstacles that we have specific sure. to Americans. Um right, yeah. We have, we have many, many breastfeeding obstacles. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I look at that and I think to myself, oh my gosh, seven. But uh that seems extra <laughs> really well, and we also have expectations of a seven-year-old in america right yeah, so like yeah. people start i i you know i obviously i read the comments i don't spend a whole lot of time there but i do read the comments and people are saying you know oh that the seven-year-old is in second grade and it's like yes we understand that like mm-hmm. the the age that they're at for the education they're receiving has nothing to do yeah, with yeah. the amount of comfort that they still need from their mother right. and, and nine my years. nine-year-old she's still like her head on my chest. Yeah. My five-year-old, I just recently had to wean him from putting his hands in my shirt because he still <laughs> puts his hands on my shirt. I used to just be like, ah, you know, he, he, but then I turned around and looked at the time and I'm like, you're going to be six in three months. Like we're done. Like I'm done. Like no more hands my shirt. So he thinks that I'm mad at him. He goes, you're, you're mean. You're so mad at me. And I'm like, Aww. I'm not Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, I look at that and I think, wow, that's really extra. But at the same time, I think, you know what, if that's what evolves for someone in their journey, I'm, I'm not in a place to judge that because I never expected to be where I'm at in my journey either. Uh, And I've never heard of any child going off to college and needing a boob break in the middle of their exams. (laughs) (laughs) They're actually, you know, there's a lot of statistics around the fact that they have higher IQs and that they have more independence and things like that. I also think that for breastfeeding uh, children, they become very tactile learners. Mm-hmm. And they understand things in a way uh, when it comes to fine motor skills that other children do not. This is sure. not saying that one is better than the other. It's just saying experiential. Right. Their knowledge is much wider and broader when they've had time to sit and massage the breast to get the milk to come down the mm-hmm. way that they like it. Right. Because that's what that's what breastfeeders do when babies hit that about that two year, I would even say one year age. They, sure. they understand that if they can massage that breast in a certain way, they're going to get a little bit more milk. Right. And if you, you know? notice, the pictures that I sent you, um, most of them, she is, they're about from nine months and on because at that point, I didn't need both my hands so I could start taking selfies. <laughs> right. And she's handling the whole thing. Yeah. She's like, let me adjust it. Let me make yeah. sure it's where I want it. Let me so make sure more milk's coming down. It's kind of funny. <laughs> when I was getting those together for you, I, I was like, oh, wow, there's a huge deficit when she was a tiny, tiny baby. And then it dawned on me, oh, that's because... I didn't have an available hand for taking selfies so <laughs> until so she true. was big enough 
to, you know, have more control over the experience. Right. <laughs> right. And they do take control. Once they get to that age where they understand where that breast needs to be placed and how to latch, <laughs> they just open up and latch on and you can be half asleep and they're they're good to go. You know, yeah, yeah, that's definitely. the really nice thing about breastfeeding. <laughs> As a veteran breastfeeder of a three-year-old, what is the happiest part of your journey up to this point and what was the most difficult part? I think probably the most difficult part, I'll start with that, is um, <laughs> I did have two, like two and a half rounds of mastitis. Okay. Um, I thought I had the flu and uh, my friend from Boston area, she said, well, when a nursing mom presents with symptoms of the flu, it's usually mastitis. And I said, well, I don't have a plug duct. I don't think it is that. And then I learned that they don't necessarily have to go hand in hand. So that was a very steep learning curve. And um, that was also awful. <laughs> yes. It hurt really, really bad. And um, then it, it took a while until... Um, I got fully better because the second round was was not coming directly off the heels of the first round, but it was only a couple weeks later. And I was just kind of like, oh, I just went through this. So I think I was still right. in the immune system from that. And um, persisting through all that, I mean, it was never a question of stopping nursing, although I know in a lot of cases it is for some women. Um, it was just a matter of still getting enough rest and making sure that there were people there to care for her because I just physically wasn't really able. I was just in bed and I was basically, you know, there for her to be brought to me <laughs> and latched on. Right. And that was right. it. Um, the second time it wasn't quite as severe. So, and I also knew more of what to expect. So I was just kind of like, yeah, this is awful, but, <laughs> but I, right. I know what I'm up against. So uh, I was a little more, you know, raring to go for it. Um, and then the, the halftime, um, hmm, the reason why I call it like a halftime was because I'm not entirely sure if it was mastitis or if it was some other kind of infection that manifested mm. itself because I'd gone back to my part-time job where there were some, uh, conditions that I thought maybe I didn't wash my hands well enough right before I pumped or something like that. Right, right. Store, <laughs> to be completely oh, yeah, yeah. animals around and, you know, I could wash my hands, but then if I touch a doorknob or, you know, yes. whatever, I wasn't entirely sure. So, so after those things, you know, now I, I'm not really, I, I wasn't really pumping so much then. And it's kind of just been like, everything's leveled out in terms of supply. It just is, very free and easy and natural on-demand kind of stuff going on from there. And, and that's been really nice. But as far as like, <laughs> this is funny, I'm laughing to myself. Uh, there's two moments that stick out in my mind. The first moment is one of the pictures that I sent you is one that is not a selfie and we're laying in a beach chair and um, my husband took it. We were on vacation in Mexico and Aria was nine months old. And uh, he said, wow, I just took this amazing picture of you. And I said, what? Let me see it. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's precious. And I think that was like really a game changer for me to feel better about nursing in public, especially not that I ever had an issue with it, but I was always covered. I was always, right. you know, whatever. And here I am on a beach in Mexico in a bathing suit. And some women's yeah. bathing suits are showing more than most women show when they're nursing at times. 
And exactly. I still covered with a towel just out of, you know, respect to whoever else had issues. But for me, I was like, that is a gorgeous picture. And um, it kind of was a game changer for me in terms of being more open about uh, my breastfeeding journey. And then the second one is a funny story. And that's why I started laughing because oh. not that long ago, um, my husband I'm sitting there nursing and he's sitting there next to me and it's on the couch in our nursing spot. And, uh, <laughs> he starts singing this song and now I call it the nursing jingle. And my daughter's looking at me right now because I think she's ready for me to start singing. And it's like, it has like a country twang. <laughs> he's going, he's going boob in my mouth, nursey, nursey. <laughs> Boob <laughs> in the mouth, nursey, nursey. And I'm like, right. And I really didn't like it at first. And then um, he was like, what's wrong? And I go, I maybe you're embarrassing me a little. <laughs> right, right, right. And he was like, this is a happy song. So, and and Art, she's singing it right now. I wish I, I wish I could turn the camera, but I can't. I'm using my internal camera. Oh, don't uh, worry. So he's... <laughs> He goes, why are you embarrassed? He said, you've been nursing for almost three years now, and it's a happy song. You should be right. very proud of yourself, he says to me. And he was looking up at me with, like, those googly guy eyes. <laughs> and it was just the sweetest moment where Aww. I felt so supported. Yeah. And I was feeling initially very em embarrassed. And now, like, she sings all the time. All the time, right? Because it makes her feel happy. Yeah, yeah. That's and it amazing. reminds me of that moment where daddy and mommy were being silly and she was sitting there nursing. And <laughs> and what's really interesting, and, and there's like a whole moral, it's never just a happy story. There's always more to it. <laughs> right. Daughters then came over and and she started and my and our daughter started singing it and they were like what is she saying they thought she was saying poop in my mouth oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. and i'm like no 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 and then they said well that she shouldn't be seeing that that's inappropriate and i'm like how is it inappropriate and it was a really great teachable moment i said little mass 10 was saying about how his life is a movie bull riding and boobies but when <laughs> right but when, when your little sister start singing about what boobs were meant for meant for exactly that's inappropriate and they were like oh it's such a teachable moment i feel yeah. like it's been hidden for so long so when people when people start to have all these feelings like i was commenting on something on instagram yesterday and i i highly i'm i, I stay away from a lot of the comments because it's, it's, it's yeah. i don't want to say that it's pointless but it's like Nobody's got time some, for all that. Like, people, unless you really want to know. <laughs> exactly. And so when people say like, but what's wrong with using a cover? Then I just, my, my response is, when was the cover ever needed? Yeah. It didn't become necessary until we over-sexualized the female body in mm -hmm. this society. So right. when did the cover, when was it ever needed before then? You can't tell me because I used to get National Geographic on my doorstep yep, when I was yep. a child with women not even breastfeeding and full breasts out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like the way that I look at it, I'm like, why? I don't understand why are people making this a big deal when all she's doing is feeding a baby? It's not that serious, right, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a very cool teachable moment. I love that. So great. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about... Um, 
your amazing work, work that you're doing with PBS <laughs> and this early childhood literacy program. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for asking about it because as Ms. as international title holders in this system, um, what happens is we all are charged to choose a personal platform with a cause that means something to us. And you see that in a lot of pageants, but a lot of times it's not emphasized as much in some systems as others. And this one is very... Uh, philanthropically based. So that's wonderful. And I chose PBS because uh, my daughter loves PBS kids programming. So that was the first natural bridge. And then also reflecting back on my own experience, I learned how to read from Sesame Street and I entered kindergarten knowing how to read because of Sesame Street. So as a PBS show, yeah, um, I was like, wow, I need to give back to this that gave so much. And now Mr. Rogers is also like, I, I mean, where do you go? Mr. Rogers is like cool. <laughs> He's, right. Before, you know, he was always cool until right. you get older and then you're like, oh, Mr. Rogers, that's that guy I watched when I was a kid. But now suddenly it's cool to love Mr. Rogers no matter what your age is. Right. And um, that's really wonderful because we certainly do need it at this time in life. And I actually had a person who said to me, you know what? I liked your page because you support PBS and without PBS, we wouldn't have Mr. Rogers. And I thought, wow, that was really awesome. As far as early literacy goes, uh, my home station for PBS, which is WLVT, PBS 39, they have something called the Lehigh Valley Reads Initiative. And the Lehigh Valley is that region I spoke of earlier that I live about 10 minutes south of. And Lehigh Valley Reads is um, the region's uh, grade level reading campaign. So what they're doing is they're working to make sure that by third grade, kids are on level in terms of reading because that's where reading switches from learning to read and just simply knowing how to to pronounce the words and everything um, to reading to learn. So they, you know, are not just reading because they want to be able to see the text and know what it says, but they're also learning about other subjects because of it. It's a really, really cool initiative because I have a preschool daughter now and everything, I'm soaking it all in. Um, besides my background in education, I was a public school teacher just like my husband is now. I was a public school teacher for 10 years and I still teach online. Um, and those kids are anywhere from age four to 12 learning English, but it's as a second language. You know, it all really just dovetails so nicely. Um, and as far as their mission, PBS to educate, inspire and inform, even what we're doing right now, educating, right. inspiring and informing still fits in with with it so you can't Most argue definitely. with those three buzzwords <laughs> you can and and those are that's what the next generation needs they yep. need to be informed they need to be inspired they need to be educated mm -hmm. um about all of these topics they're so important Kate, it's been amazing to have you on with yeah. us today i truly appreciate having this opportunity to chat with you do you have a shameless plug or any kind of shout out i know you said you were part of like a breastfeeding group on Facebook. Do you want to shout them out? And, oh. and what's your social media? Well, okay. I mean, I will shout them out just because they, again, they've given me so much. And I, I always say when new members join, there's 70,000 members in it. Um, and it is by far the 
the best of any mom's group that I'm a part of, you know, like I basically left a lot of the other mom's groups because they can get so crazy. (laughs) Right. They do. They do. There's those hot topics. And yeah, yeah. it's it's so nice. It's extended breastfeeding support. And, um, that that's all. I think it's based in the UK because there's a lot of UK dialect that I see in a lot of the people's posts. Uh, It it warms my heart because I love it. And, um, there's that one. And then, uh, as far as I go, I have my personal page, which is my my full name, including my middle name. So it's four names, Kate Ames Chartel Novak. And then more importantly, there's my title holder page, which is Kate Chartel Novak, Mrs. Pennsylvania International 2019. Um, The international pageant system is a divisional pageant. So there's also a Miss Pennsylvania International and a Miss Teen Pennsylvania International and a Miss Preteen Pennsylvania International. And on Instagram, that is at uh, P-A-I-N-T-L pageants. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can find me on Instagram. You can find the Miss, the Miss Teen, the Miss Preteen. And we all work together and and just try to do good throughout the state. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's so amazing. We'll, we'll definitely get all of your social media up for everyone to be Great. able to follow. We're so excited about sharing this podcast and your story with our yeah. listeners. Yeah. And I just, I hope you have a good rest of your day today. Hope your daughter gets her chance to nurse and all that. I know she's been waiting so patiently. She's I'm been so great. proud of her. She's been so great. Yeah. She kind of just started like, Singing her little song. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I hope you have a great one. It was so great to chat with you. You have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Vanessa Simmons, and I'm your host of the Normalized Breastfeeding Podcast. We're looking forward to hearing your story and featuring you on this platform. Send us a message if you'd like to be featured or email me directly at vanessa at normalizedbreastfeeding.org.